Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation Point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? I am Felicia. Oh, please, you lovely yellow. It is so yellow. It is, there is so much of it, and it is so in... 
bloom today. And because of my hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments, which require me to drive across the river, um, not a horrible drive, but somewhat of a drive, um, and because I go to a lesson today in the exact opposite direction, but about as far away, I have been driving through the clouds of cultivated cherry trees and white and pink, weeping and bouffant, and all the wild cherry trees blooming in the, the banks and banks of forsythia. For some reason, it's deer resistant, and people just plant it all along the front of their property in great swaths, and then daffodils blooming, and we have the northern magnolias, which this year are covered in blossoms to the point where you think the blossoms are going to break the limbs. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then, of course, the daffodils and the hyacinths, it's just a riot today. Oh, wow. What a wonderful drive. Both ways. Lovely. Yes. Yes. And then when I go and sit on the toilet, right out my door is a peach tree that grew from a pit in the compost. Mm. And, and every every time I look out there, not just every day, but every time I look out there, the flower buds are bigger and pinker over the past 48 hours. Wow. For the past couple of weeks, I've been watching them get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, but now they're going, like somebody is blowing them up. Mm. When, we're when will you have we're supposed, to go, we're supposed to go back down into the 30s, but hopefully not down below freezing, because that's, that can be quite the disaster here in an area that grows so much fruit for it to get warm like this really early encourage the trees to blossom and then to slam them with a frost mm. the trees mm. can make the frost but the newly forming fruit can't and it just all falls off wow so yeah so, so it's kind of a ah, breathe breathe well kind of week coming up for all of the fruit here in the Hudson River Valley and the fruit farmers Seeing how how well spring has gripped hold here and can keep the plants a little warm at night. Mm. I made um, garlic, mustard, root, vinegar, aliaria, officinalis. Too much of it was growing in among my monarda didyma, my oswego tea, my beautiful red bee ball. And so I went, which is all under the willow tree, which was given to me by a group of live-out apprentices some years ago when we did a tree weekend, which I'm going to be doing this year as well. Um, so we will go to that willow tree. And I <clears throat> walked them down the road to the nearest willow tree, which was, I don't know, not really far, maybe half a mile. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> how lovely that they got a willow tree to plant by the pond so that we can sit by the willow tree when we talk about willow. Aww. Yeah. And it's just a, a lovely just, willow tree. I have just the whole sweep of everything after that, after the the, the winter is uh, so filled 
Mm. It's, it's, it, I find it very easy to be uh, moved by it. Mm. Because it, to me it's all moving. Yeah, I, I feel that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Just the sister one, you feel like she's moving all around, big hugs and thrilling spiral of love. Yeah. I love the love. Do you make any remedies this week? I did not make any remedies this week. I did use a few remedies this week. Um, my husband and I both, yeah, we, my husband first, and then I followed about 24 hours later, we both got a little bit of a sore throat and, uh, he thought he had a fever. And so he went to his go-to, which is elderberry. And I went to my go-to, which is goldenrod. And then we both added some bone set and, uh, within about 24 hours feeling really good. Neither one of us has a fever and uh, he says his throat is better. Mine's just about right, but it was a wonderful opportunity to give great thanks for having those remedies on hand and having prepared them last year and the year before. Yes, and I want to really shine a spotlight on what to me is the moral of your story, which is you don't have to learn how to know which is the right remedy. Mm. You took the remedy that seemed right to you, and he took the remedy that seemed right to him, and you both took a remedy that seemed right to both of you. And that's part of the reason for making simples, so that you can do that, so you have that flexibility. And it's not even like, okay, now the pattern is set and this is what he's going to do. It might be the next time around that, it's, that it switches around, that it's different herbs so that you trade off and he does the golden rod and you do that, right? Right. That's so... Me, that's the elegance and the, the, the heart of herbal medicine is that it gives us an infinite palette to work with. Mm. I so agree. It, it's, there's so much richness in it and, and so empowering and just so much gratitude to know that they're all there for me. And what I've written on them from when they were harvested and anything I doodled on there just brings back memories of being with the plant at the time that we co-created the remedy together. So just a lot of magic. Very, very magical. We have an absolutely magical person coming to be with us this evening, Martha Libster. And I have known her for a long time as the herbal nurse. She says that her work advances the art and science of nurse herbalism. She's the author of nine books. 
and she's expanding her nurse herbalist work to the public through Self-Care Institute and Self-Care League. And you and I will get to talk to her at 9 o'clock. Stick with us or come back and be thrilled with nurse herbalist Martha Lipster. Mm-hmm. Look forward to that. Yeah. Anybody out there with a question tonight? We have a good number of listeners with questions, and I'd like to remind everyone listening that if you have a question for Susan tonight, please press 1 so that I know you would like to speak with her, and I will be able to put you through. Our first caller is calling from the 215 area code. From the 215, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Mary. Hi, Mary. Um, how are you tonight? Thrilled by the forsythia. Okay. Um, you asked me to call back and check in when I called a few weeks ago, um, thinking that I had a UTI, um, and I never had one. And it, I got two cultures done, and it turns out I did not have that. There was mild inflammation, a little bit of bacteria, but um, I did use the yarrow tincture, and it did seem to go away after that. Um, one thing that was interesting was I didn't know how often to take the yarrow, Um I took it for a couple days, and then you told me to order, and I was hoping that you can clarify. Um, You told me to get Uva Ursi with an I on the end, and that's what I saw, and that's what I ordered and is on its way just so that I have it on hand. Um, And I wanted to make sure that that was what... Uva Ursi is an herb that contains tannins, which are astringents, and antibacterials, and it seems to be highly effective across a broad spectrum of people in quelling bladder infections, especially persistent ones. Okay. So there's certainly nothing wrong with having it on hand. It's a leathery leaf, and so long as it's stored cool and dark, it will still be good 50 years from now. Awesome. And how do you how do you? So if um, if you want to use that, then you yeah. make infusion of it, weighing out an ounce of the herb into a quart jar. But Perfect. you don't. But you don't drink it like by the quart, like a nourishing herbal infusion. You drink it by the quarter cup. Okay. Or if that seems too much, because remember it's astringent, then by the sip. And if you want to mix it with some other thing that tastes a little better, you can. What would you suggest? I don't know because I don't it. know. I don't know what your tastes are, but. Some people would like might like pineapple juice, okay. or orange juice, or mm-hmm. pomegranate juice. 
Mm-hmm. You know, something something that's a hundred percent juice, but it has a little sweetness to it. Okay. So and, I found it interesting that, and I'm glad oh, that you had a culture and that your cultures came back negative. Yeah. And it's quite possible to actually have something going on that an individual woman can be sensitive enough to feel without having it be bad enough for the medical establishment to pick up on. Okay, yeah, my body's very sensitive. Okay. And they did twice try to give me antibiotics, and I said no. Right, they're not showing any sign of infection, but you should take antibiotics. Hi, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good for you for saying no. You protected your health. Yeah. I'm not well, antibiotics when they're, they're useful, but at this now. point, they're telling you they're not useful, so. Mm-hmm. So thank you for, I, thank you for, yes, go ahead. I just so, wanted to clarify, when I only took the arrow for a couple days, and I wasn't sure how much, um, what would you have, how would I have? I think you figured it out perfectly, and it's the theme of the evening which is herbal medicine is individual medicine. And it's Mm -hmm. not even like like the next time this happens, you'll do exactly the same thing, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's very individual to the moment and the occurrence and the emotions and um, what some people might call the magic of what's happening. So... Mm -hmm. Even with antibiotics, the studies, and I love the way they phrase it, the studies have found that in most cases, five days of antibiotics is non-inferior to ten days. Hmm. It's about time. It will take a long time for that, you know, those studies to trickle into people's minds, but meanwhile, we can protect our health by doing just what you did, by following your example and saying no to needless antibiotics and instead using herbs. Had you called and said, I use these herbs and I use these herbs and nothing happened and they offered me antibiotics and I took them because I was desperate, I would have said that was wise. Okay. But that that isn't what happened. Right. And And in fact, it's hardly ever what happens. Right. Yeah, you said I'm glad we have the drugs back up. Herbs are really effective. Right. So try it would probably do better than the antibiotics, and that's what I, that's how I seem to see it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thank you. I've been listening to you for a couple years now, and I've called in a couple times, so thank you for all of your knowledge. You are welcome. Thanks for calling back and filling us in. Green blessings. Good night. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, the next caller who has pressed 1 to let us know they have a question is calling from the 603 area code. From the 603, you are live with 
Hey, Susan, it's Rose calling. It's so good to hear you again. Hi, Rose. Good to hear from you. Thank you so much. I loved how you uh, started the program telling us about the Forsythia and all the things that you saw today. It was just beautiful. I love to hear what what you find. Thank you so much. You're Um, welcome. Oh, I'm kind of a... A hurting little puppy today. That's me. Um, I've, um, yeah, I hope you can. Um, I hope I can be coherent enough. I'm, not, I'm recouping from a couple of things. Um, as I've shared with you before, um, I have a severe scoliosis, um, 43 degrees upper S and 45 lower, and it's also rotating. And I've been. Um, uh, doing what I can to help myself with it. Um, and I finally found um, a, a, a physiatrist, and I thought I would get a different opinion to see what he had to say. So I did that yesterday. It was um, quite, an, uh, quite an experience because I'm not doing – at all well because I've you know having a lot of pain and not sleeping at night. So um, anyway, I did that yesterday, and he suggested that I use a lidocaine patch. So I do have um, uh, about three questions to ask you. So that's the first one. Um, uh, as I don't usually go towards the medical, you know, towards uh, things like that. I like to use the more natural things. But I'm trying it. I put a lidocaine patch on today, excuse me, for the first time. And um, he said to put it on 12 hours on and 12 hours off. Have you had any experience at all with these lidocaine patches? Lidocaine is a girl's best friend. Really? Really, when we're in pain, the nerves signal the brain, and the brain then makes hormones that causes the muscles to trigger hormones and muscles and a variety of things. So it's a very complicated path to pain. But once that path is etched, it's easy for it to become chronic and lidocaine is a very simple and completely non-addictive way to break into that pain pathway so that it doesn't become chronic okay so you know of no harmful side effects from using a lidocaine patch no and lidocaine comes not only in patches it also comes in Roll on and spray on and rub on. Okay. So you can spot treat if you want to. All right. Oh, now he said the the five percent lidocaine is very costly. So he said to start with the, and I'm not able to work right now. I'm trying to get well enough so I can go back to work because I love working and um, being productive in society. Um, um, so I've, he said to start with the 4%. Have you had um, 
that's only 1% difference. I said, is there really that much difference? He said, just try it. If the 4% doesn't work, then you might have to go to the 5%. Have you had any experience at all between the 4% and 5%? I use the 4%. Oh, you do? Okay. It is well, widely available. And as I said, it's available in a wide variety of things from roll-on to rub-on yeah. to spray-on to patches so that you can really um, put it where it hurts. I think the 12 hours on, 12 hours off is a pretty good rule. When I was in the hospital, I was layered in lidocaine patches, and they were, you know, that was it. I got them for 12 hours, and then I could not have them for another 12 hours. Mhm. And during that so twelve that, hours, so you did not have the patch on. Did it? Where did you have that, relief? That seems, to be, that seems to be kind of the, you know, the thing. What I what I wanted was to have all of the pain erased by the lidocaine at once, not a little bit here and a little bit there. But you could do anything you wanted. Okay. Well, thank you for that. That's that's encouraging. Now I'm also. <laughs> Recovering because today, so it was two days in a row where I had these appointments. Today I had my second right eye eye surgery. <laughs> so oh, um, oh my goodness! So um, I'm not used to ever resting. I'm a pusher. You know, I push through my pain, and I have so much to get done in life, especially. Um, after the winter months when I don't do well up here in New England. But um, once the sun starts coming out and spring arrives, and just like you, I could relate. I'm just so joyful with the forsythia and the pussy willows before that. Um, And today after my cat, um, well, I had the cataract surgery done a year ago. And my understanding is that... um, well, I haven't been seeing well at all. I've been having a lot of trouble and a lot of burning ever since um, during this past year. So finally he said, well, you know, he told me what it is. It's something that um, a film that can grow, um, grows over after cataract surgery. So he, uh, in the surgery today, he broke up um, – all of that. I actually counted 30 zaps. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 30 zaps in one eye. And he says if this works well, um, then he's going to do the left eye because I'm still not able to read well at all, even you know, even though the cataract surgery was, was supposed to fix that. And uh, so, and I, I'm not seeing well enough to even dr- drive. So um, I'm hoping this does the trick. So this leads me into my next question for you: Is that um, um, this uh, surgeon now um, is, uh, wants me to put? And I did start um, putting um, drops in my eyes. Um, one drop four times a day, only for four days, and it's called prednisolone acetate. I have no idea what it is. I'm like I'm too hurting. I to um to even you know look it up. But I completely anyway. understand. Have you heard of prednisone? 
Yes, so that's uh, and, relative. Well, that, that's what you just said. Was it was it prednisone? Oh yes. Okay. And what can you do? I, I'm so sorry, I'm asking is, you. Prednisone is a steroid. Steroid. Okay. Steroids are used to control runaway inflammation. Okay. Okay. They Thank can you. be they can be quite addictive and they cause a variety of unwholesome side effects. So it's better to use steroids sparingly and for the shortest possible time. Yes, well he said to only use this for four days. Yeah. But that's no, four no. days out of every week or just once for four days? No. Uh one drop four times a day. I've already done two I got to, I'm going to do my third my third time today because the surgery was just done today for f- four days only and then I'm done and I'm I'm so happy forever. It's freaking oh, excellent. Okay. Well, it's freaking expensive these drops. I couldn't believe how expensive they were. But um, anyway, and actually the stor- steroid thing, I am trying to get well with my pain in my spine and with my eyes so I can drive because I discussed my sister with you before because she's the one who is very ill and got on a downhill trend because she had to take steroids for an eye disease and she has gone downhill from all the symptoms from that. Not to, uh, I mean, that's why I'm trying to get well so I can go visit her in rehab because she's deteriorated terribly and I'm told that she has to be there at least probably a month or two so she can regain all of her muscle tone. She she doesn't have any strength left. I mean, she's just been all these side effects led to some other side, you know, and they keep on giving drug after drug. So I spoke to you a, a, a while ago and told you that I was looking forward to bringing her um, infusion to get her started because um, she's finally ready to start doing something nourishing so I'm thrilled, but I got to get well enough so I can drive the three hours each way. So it's really, I'm really highly motivated to keep pushing myself. But today is the first time I ever, I mean, I rested where I didn't do anything after. Oh, no, I did something for myself besides resting. I stopped and walked in the woods on the way back from surgery, the surgery. Oh, I you. A, I thought of you, and I said, I wonder oh. what Susan I thought of you, and I was wondering what Susan was was finding in her woods because the woods where I stopped, it was just an evergreen, so I didn't see much of anything except for um, uh, a little bit remains of um, the winter, the um, what is it called, uh, the um, evergreen, uh, a couple of ever red evergreen, not evergreen, wintergreen berries with the leaves, and I wanted to ask you, is it some kind of a bass? It was a, a whole evergreen forest um, with some hemlock and all white pines, except I saw here and there a, um, a few saplings uh, with um, here and there with leaves just hanging on that had been bleached. And I think it's a type of bass as I looked at the leaf. Do you have any idea? I, I'm just too exhausted to even get my book to look it up. I hear you. What you're seeing is um, what's called the natural succession in a hardwood forest. 
So in the hardwood, in the cleared areas, like if, if someone comes and cuts down the forest and clears it so they can have a hay field, and then they die and the kids sell the property and the property owner is a, a city slicker and doesn't mow the field, then what first happens is that things like blackberry grow there. Blackberry and brambles and barberry. And then up from that come baby cedars and baby pines, all of the evergreens that you're talking about. And they grow. And once they're getting close to maturity, they provide enough shade for the hardwoods, mm-hmm. the oaks and the beeches and the maples and the all of the, the birches, all of the other trees used to be ash. All right, to get started, as the pines then die out, then the hardwoods now grow in and become the mature forest. Okay, so these are young beech saplings, you think? They could be, if that's what the leaves look like to you. I'm not there, so I'm going to take your word for it. Okay, well, I was astounded because... It's obviously, like you say, thanks for explaining that to me. Um, It's in the process because all these evergreens are very old and there are so many down in the woods and rotting. And I was actually hoping that I could spot some fiddleheads or something else growing, but nothing, nothing else I could see. It's all like many dead evergreens, very mature evergreens, and just these few saplings everywhere. And like I said, the the winter, you know, the the winter. Um, oh winter God, rain. I forgot. Yeah. The winter uh, rain. Yeah, and and that's it. Do, do are you she able? To, which is perfect. Yeah, so it's just, just where just this what place you're supposed is to be seeing this wonderful regeneration in that forest. Yes, yes. Do you have any fiddleheads where you live? Because well, I used to enjoy those growing up in the spring, and I don't see any here at all around me. Um. I had very interesting adventure with ferns. I set set aside an entire year to be with the ferns and to time with them and to learn about them and all of the things that were done with them. And at the end of that year, I said to the ferns, okay, I am now ready to introduce you to people. How shall I introduce you? And Mm -hmm. they said, don't. They said the, the time of our interaction with people is now over, and we don't we don't want you to say anything about us. We don't want to be used. We we don't want to be part of that compact anymore. There are other things that are calling to us that we really need to do now. Mm-hmm. And so I was not surprised then to discover that in New Zealand, one of the few things that the Maori Recognized because remember they're not indigenous to New Zealand. Um, they came in boats from other islands, um, which yeah. had vast, vastly different vegetation. But they recognized the uh, fiddleheads, mm-hmm. and they ate those. And there was enough silica in them that it ground their teeth down to the gums. Wow! And they are carcinogenic. Now, if you just eat them once a year, it's no big deal. 
Exactly. You're not supposed to eat much of overdo anything. That's a shame that they did that. So what what, what did they do? Destroy the fiddle? Well, they, they also burned down 4,000 acres to grow a sweet potato and hunted every bird that weighed more than a pound into extinction. So they weren't just sitting still. That's terrible. Well, it's not really terrible. That's our modern ecological belief that that's terrible. There's no native group that I've met that would think that's terrible. Well, what I would think, Susan, that native groups would 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 be wiser and... Um, I know you would think that, but it's not true. Hmm. Because even today... And what I you think- are evidencing is a modern ecological mm-hmm. understanding. Mm-hmm. What what most indigenous people believe is first and foremost that they are the only people in the world. No. Secondly, that the world is infinitely abundant, and as a corollary of that, they can use as much of anything as they want. I wouldn't think that people would think that. Why not? Because I, I, I don't like to think that people, that they would be, they wouldn't be so greedy that they would think think of... It's not them, greedy to uh, feed your family. Oh, well, if that was the only food available, but... Well, I, that's what we're talking about, aren't we? This well, is before farming. It's only once we have farming that we don't have to, you know, hunt animals to extinction. But you, I, I would think that there would be other that there would be animal animals I understand available. Would that, but what you mm-hmm. don't understand is that you have a unique modern perspective because you are not limited to the place where you were born. Yeah. Okay. I'm getting off a, a little off track because I and thank you for explaining that. And I do enjoy this conversation with you so much. I wanted That's to ask. That. There's you, something you wanted to ask, which is. Yeah, about the about my eyes. Now, be, is there anything else I can do for my to try to um, help them? Because um, I'm seeing um, wicked, wicked like black spiders, which. Um, floaters, you know, and he, and he did say that those will go away. But besides Bilberry, which I brought up to you the last time I called, is there anything else you can recommend so, that I could do to help my eyes heal better? All of, all of the small fruits are thought to be incredibly supportive of the eyes. That would include goji berry, amla, it would include yes, bilberry, but also blueberries. Yeah. And you know, you can buy you can buy wild blueberries at the supermarket. Yes, I do that. So I love them. That's that's what I would do. Is I would really you know because in the studies, they're doing like large amounts. They're doing like half a cup to a cup of blueberries a day. Yes. That's what so I, I was. I would doing. really you know wail on that. Get you know really get myself into the habit of, um, you know, having some blueberries available to myself so that I'm eating them a lot 
or in, yeah. or making some amla infusion or putting some goji okay. berries in my granola, right? I would be looking for as many ways as I could amla infusion. To, to enrich amla my diet, those things, okay. as well as making sure that I was eating generous servings of well-cooked red and orange vegetables. Okay. I mean, just for, just for myself. Yes, just for myself. One of mm-hmm. the things that, that we do is during the summer when there's cherry tomatoes, we bake the cherry tomatoes for a couple of hours after putting olive oil and sliced garlic and some herb of the time, um, thyme wow. or, or you know, whatever we have on it, and then we bake them really slow. And then we freeze that so we have that, like, mm, you know, it's a really rich, well-baked tomato in the olive. Wow. And then I use that as a condiment all winter long. Even if I'm only getting a tablespoonful of it on my, as part of my salad dressing or on top of my brown rice, that's a big contributor. And then there's always a piece of winter squash or sweet potato or carrot on my plate. Okay. I've got to do more of that. Right, as well as there's always between half a cup and a cup of well-cooked greens on my plate. I These do are that. All thing, all, you do that great, okay. Yeah, I do that. Spinach, yeah. kale, you name it, whatever greens I can find, I've been doing that. Right. Those are really those good are, tips. And those are well-cooked, yes. And also, what, what about the red pepper? How, how, excuse me, I want to find out how you cook them. Oh, the greens? Yes. Oh, I learned from you, Susan. I learned from you. I okay, all right. Them. I just wanted to check in to make sure that you're getting yeah. what you need from those greens. Oh, yeah, me, I, I, you got I, it. All right. On to the I next thing. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, what about red good. peppers? The good? Red peppers good? Well, Are you there? good. Good. I, I'm trying to figure out a, a good and bad is the sickness of the human mind, my first Zen instructor said. So I'm oh, always yeah. a little like awkward around the word good. Um, me at this point. So I, here's, here's my primary concern with peppers. Peppers of all colors are generally good idea to get them organic, okay. but... Organic standards end at harvest, and red peppers especially um, mold up and rot very, very fast if you've ever grown them. Yes. You wait until it's red, and then you, like, take it in. You better eat it that day or it's not going to be good the next day. So to get them to market, they spray them with fungicide. Even the organic ones? Yes. Organic standards end at harvest. Didn't know that. It's grown organically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Does it wash Once off? Once it's harvested, no longer being grown. So I find that many people say to me, you know, every time I ate pepper, I would always burp it up. Hmm. And, and I say, that's your body's way of telling you that it is unhappy. I don't do that. Then you're perfectly okay. fine with red pepper. And, and, and with the fungicide washoff, especially baked with olive oil on it, huh? Okay. And does it wash off the fungicide? 
if I have to buy them at the store? You might, you might as well give it a try. Okay. Now, the other thing, please, and then I'll let you go on to the next call. I don't want to take too much time. Is um, last? I think it was last week you mentioned um, how many. I know that you, from listening to you in the past, I know that you routinely um, take, uh, um, I mean, tinctures that you, uh, in the, throughout the day. I, I remember you taking Hawthorne and Hypericum and uh, Dandelion. And those three, I feel, have been helping me so much. And last week, I think it was, you mentioned that, oh, my God, I can't remember what you said because I wasn't doing too well last week. But you mentioned that you take many, many more. Could you briefly just tell me? But I'm in a very unique circumstance. I'm I'm still recovering from 17 hours of surgery. Yes, I remember. Right, and some pretty bad drugs that I was given thereafter because it was COVID days. So there was no one there to help me with the herbal remedies, even though they were right in the room with me. I, you know, I truly understand what you say when you say, oh, I just don't have the energy to do that. I really didn't have the energy to both heal and Mm -hmm. take care of myself. Yes. I wasn't wasn't able to do both of those things. So um, I'm healing still from the direct consequences of the surgery and still um, healing from the other, perhaps we might call them side effects of what went on. I was just reading that after a hip replacement, they figured that it will take about two years for the person to fully recover from that. that. So... um, and of course, I, I've had the I figured that I figured that I probably don't have to keep up the intensity of what I'm taking uh, past about the year mark. And as the bottles are emptying of a variety mm-hmm. of things, I'm just letting those bottles stay empty. Mm-hmm. Although I did add a new pain remedy, which is philopendula. What is that um, one? Philopendula. Philopendula. Okay. Philip Pendula, it's one of the meadow sweets. And oh. um, just a few drops of it um, in the morning before I go off for my uh, hyperbaric treatment, I've found very beneficial because I have to lay still, which is not my usual for that time of the day. Yes. Yes. So this Philip Pendula, do you think, uh, so that sounds like maybe something I will consider taking for um, my pain issues. And, of course, I, I'm looking for things that I can bring, that I, that I might uh, be, bring for my sister who has so much recouping ahead of her from all those drugs she was on and how she deteriorated because of all the side effects and drug after drug. So as yeah. well as helping myself and what I can bring to her, that's why I was hoping you could share with me, you know, what other things uh, that that adaptogens. I am. I'm taking a variety of adaptogens, and there's at the um, right and at the a Wise Woman's School is my whole course on adaptogens, so that perhaps you and she um, want to look at that together and um, have a sense of what what kind of adaptogens she feels drawn to or what's available to you. Those are generally two of the most important things in choosing what herbs you're going to use. 
is, oh, I really, you know, this one really appeals to me. I'd like to work with this one. Or this one is easily available to me and would be, therefore, pretty easy to work with. Those are two two good reasons. So adaptogens are things like ginseng and so-called Siberian ginseng, which is now called Eleutherococcus, and um, uh, things we mentioned before like amla and goji berry are considered adaptogens. So so a, a fairly wide variety of different plants. Many mushrooms are adaptogens like reishi. So, and again, our theme of the evening is that it's individual. Yes. That it's not one size is going to fit everybody. Okay, this is the protocol for that. And I understand in, you know, the world of big medicine, dealing with Mm -hmm. millions of the protocols are extremely useful. But in herbal medicine, one of the advantages we have is that we can go without a specific diagnosis and without a specific protocol because most of the time what we're dealing with is, as you're saying, um, I want to help myself without resorting to drugs. So we're not using the herbs as some kind of magic thing that is going to cure you, but something Mm -hmm. that you can take to help relieve some of the symptomatic problems that you're having without having side effects from it. Exactly. And the philopendula, how do I make that tincture specifically, can you tell me? I have always made it from the fresh plant. There's a beautiful patch of philopendula which grows just before we get to Herb Hill at Gretchen Goulds. And the Green Witch Holiday, we go up to Herb Hill, up to Gretchen's, and we always stop by the philopendula patch. And uh, as a matter of fact, I have a couple growing in pots on the deck that I, that, that patch allowed me to bring home. Um, I, hope, I was hoping that seeds from it would blow around the neighborhood and we would start a few wild patches of our own. Um, so that's what I've always used is the fresh plant tincture. And you might get in touch with um, either Red Moon Herbs or Catskill Mountain Herbs and see if either one of those has made philopendula tincture. Well, thank you. And maybe even your good friend and mine, Rebecca, maybe she's making it. Wouldn't that be fun? Yes. Good Isn't idea. That be fun to be yes. in touch with I, yes. Yes. Oh, you are such a wealth. Thank you so much for your generosity and time, Susan. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good Green blessings to you. I'll let you go on to the next caller. Good night. All right. We have quite a few callers who have raised their hand by pressing one. Uh, we have seven callers waiting, and the next caller is from the 908 area code. You are live in the 908. Oh, yes. Can you hear me? We can. Hi. Awesome. Yes, Susan. Hi. It's Carol Raftis from New Jersey. Hi, Carol. I thought that was you. Yes. Hi. Yes. And I too. Hi. Hi. 
your poetic description of oh, just taking in all the beautiful, magnificent trees and flowers. Yes, that was spectacular. You're so, so poetic. Um, so today um, I looked down on my chest and um, I had something with a black top on it that looked like, I thought it was a pimple with a black head on top and it wasn't there the day before. And I thought, oh, this is weird. And I had no conception of what it was. And I went to the um, acupuncturist and she said, oh, that's a tick. So, I, yeah, it was a tick. So I went right away, yeah, to emergent care right down the street, and she took it out. And um, so I was just going to ask you for some recommendations post-tick removal. Okay. Tell me, if you will, please, just a wee bit more about this tick. Uh, yeah. So you say that you saw it, and it wasn't there the day before. So it had been on you like less than twenty-four hours. You would say. I would say, yeah. Okay, and it was in a pretty obvious spot, so you would have noticed if it had been there longer. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. And when when you say that it was. Um, Black. Do you actually mean black? Or dark brown. Okay. But not brown light brown. Flash. Not light no, brown. No, it wasn't. Not it was really. It's really a really dark in color. Yes. It yeah. Okay. So, from your description, what I would say is that you had a deer tick. Dog okay. ticks are lighter in color and generally much, much larger. Deer ticks are smaller. They can be very, very tiny in the nymph stage. I killed one today that oh. was about the size of half a grain of rice. Oh, wow. And that's not even a really small one. Oh. And they, you don't really have to have them taken out of you because unlike dog ticks, they don't actually bury their head in you. They simply scratch a small opening in you. First, they inject an anesthetic so you don't feel them scratching. Yeah, and they right. scratch a little hole in you. And then they put a mouth part into the hole and lick up your blood. Ugh. Okay. So, in order to get Lyme disease, the blood has to go into the stomach where the Lyme disease is in, in an insisted state and then it wakes up once blood is in the stomach and it samples the blood and then the Lyme disease changes its genetics to match the DNA of the blood so that it can infect any mammal that it feeds on. Mm, goodness. Now the tick, we go back to the tick, which is licking up your blood. And I would refer you perhaps to any encounters that you have had with licking, say, an ice cream cone, and point out that for the vast majority of us, there is a drool reflex that goes on with licking. <laughs> and so it is with the tick. 
and when the Lyme organism has reorganized itself to be able to infect you, it spills out into the salivary glands and when the tick drools, it drools Lyme disease into you. Okay. That's why it's important how long the tick was on you because the Center for Disease Control says that well, actually, so far as they can tell, the tick has to be on you for a couple of days before that whole process can happen. Okay. But certainly, if it was within 24 hours, you were probably on the safe side. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. What I would do in this circumstance would be to make myself a quart of astragalus infusion, weighing oh, up yeah. an ounce of astragalus root, putting it in a quart jar, filling it to the top with boiling water, and letting it sit overnight. And I would strain that into another jar and then fill that astragalus root jar with another quart of boiling water so that I would have enough to drink a cup a day for the next eight days. Oh, Susan, wonderful. Right. And if there's any irritation at the site, plantain ointment, yarrow spray, even a little echinacea tincture. Oh, yes. Yeah, depending on what's yeah. going on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, the astragalus, I had... I'm, I'm, so glad that, I'm so glad that you took it to somebody right away, that you found out what it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just... Well, yes. But I have the um, astragalus sticks, and I have some powder. Those are what I have. I right usually make the infusion from the sticks. Yeah, about a hand, I don't have the scale right handy, a handful of the sticks. I know you usually say six, um, is it six ounces? How far How far are you from the post office? Uh, uh, half a mile. Well, good, go to the post office and weigh it out. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it should be six ounces. Should be one ounce for a quart. Oh, yeah, one ounce for a quart. One oh, ounce, oh. right. Right. So you can right. just, you know, you can, you could put it in an envelope. You can even address it if you want to uh-huh. and have them weigh it and then say, oh, I forgot, you know, good. I'm not really ready to, yeah. to, to mail it or whatever, you know. Put your best guess in an ounce and let them weigh it and say, was it under, was it over, you know, or, or, or. or right. if you're friends right. with the postmistress, just go in and say, yo, I need to weigh out an ounce of herb. Can I do it here? <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. just depends on what your situation is, okay? But there's right. a scale, half a mile down the road from you. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, and okay. I'm going to take a one quart over the sticks, and then the next quart, brew it over again, another quart. Yes. So I have two quarts, a cup for, for eight days. and Because two cups. quarts is eight cups, right? Eight cups, exactly. <clears throat> right. Super. Okay. And um, I really thank you, Susan. Your energy is unbelievable. Your your mind, your wisdom, your body, your spirit, everything is glorious and wonderful. And I deeply appreciate you and the fabulous meetings that we've had. I just and again, your generosity for us and and spreading the knowledge and the wisdom. I thank you. Thank you, Susan. I. Take in your praise. Mm, oh. Yummy. Yeah. Green blessings, Carol. Green blessings. Thank you, Susan.
All right, our next caller is calling from the 650 area code. You are live from the 650. Hi, Susan. Hi. That was amazing. It's just an amazing show tonight. Everybody has such great questions, and your answers are really something. Thank you. Um, I had a question about, I, I called a while ago because I kind of experiment growing cannabis, but not hemp the um, sativa and the indicas and I I asked you about making the tinctures out of the 100% vodka and your answer then had I might be quoting you wrong but something to do with that because it's in the vodka it's not as strong as a pharmaceutical quality CBD tincture or something along those lines which I wasn't really quite getting and I was wondering if, because I know you've been in contact with a lot of um, kind of pharmacists in terms of your own pain control since your surgery, and I wasn't sure what is the best thing to make the cannabis tinctures with. Well, yes, welcome to the theme of the night. There isn't a best. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah. Because I know you really don't like I have, ever. I have a beautiful tincture that someone made in vodka of just the opening buds of what she calls her hemp flowers. Hmm. Okay. And it's so lovely and it's so light. And I also have vodka tincture. Um, that is available, which is made from the mature flowers when they're, when they're filled um, with a lot of resin. And the growing thing is that resin is hydrophobic. This is why it's used as waterproofing, right? Hydro. Water phobic fear of it's water fearing, so it pushes water away. Hundred proof vodka being half water is pushed away by resins, so resins push away from it. The classic example from my life is being down at the Lost Pines near Austin, Texas, and the pine saw was so heavy that we were literally scraping it up off the deck railings and the deck furniture and table. And we thought, I don't know, maybe like an inch and a half to two inches in the bottom of a quart jar. And we called Stephen Booner, the real champion of pine pollen as a, a male tonic, and said, what do we do? He says, well, you have to have high-proof alcohol because otherwise it won't go into solution. So we did what every student does. They can throw at their teacher and then do whatever they please, no matter what their teacher says. So we didn't have any high-proof alcohol, so we used the vodka, the 100-proof vodka that we had on hand, because that's what we had. And sure enough, within the hour, there was a perfect layer of pollen floating on top of the vodka as dry as though it were in the middle of the desert. Wow. And the woman whose house it was said, I will work on this. 
And over the course of the next, I don't know how long it took her, but every day, two or three or four times a day, she would shake that bottle. She All would right. shake stuff into solution. And sure enough, she got a really good tincture from it. Wow. So she wasn't supposed to be able to at all, and she got something that worked very well. And uh, the people that I know that are making CBD tinctures with 100-proof vodka, so far as I know, aren't going to those lengths. They're not shaking it. Mm-hmm. They're finding that that they're mm-hmm. getting what they want with mm-hmm vodka and what is it that they want what is it that you want that is going to be different from person to person wow and from and from situation to situation yeah because right. a lot of people I, have I, had I had, I had an apprentice an apprentice yeah. who had my headaches so severe that in order to be a functioning person she had to take methadone. Whoa. And the methadone basically did nothing to her except relieve her pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a special relationship between the pain and what we're taking to relieve it. So what we're taking to relieve it often, even though it might have other effects, might not have those effects on us. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Mm-hmm. In most places now, you can grow it so you'll have some to experiment with. Mm-hmm. And, again, for me, that's a lot of the fun of plants is saying, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. you know, what's this? What's that? It's kind of like cooking. You know, mm-hmm. you get your favorite things, of course, right? But But there's always the allure of the new thing around the next recipe. Mhm. They're such beautiful plants too. That's yes. why I grow it because they're just so beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, thank you, what Susan. A good that was a pretty complex answer. All right, you're welcome. Okay, green blessings. Green blessings. And our next caller is calling from the 312 area code. From the 312, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Oh, my goodness. I'm on the phone with you. Hi, hi, hi. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, and I'm usually, I always work Tuesday nights, and I'm like, I'm off. I'm going to call. So um, I do, I, <laughs> I have a couple of issues, and I'm looking for some so, guidance, solutions, perhaps. Um, I'm very sensitive to fragrances, from dryer sheets to deodorants. I already, obviously, I avoid them in my personal life, but um, I work in an environment where, you know, I can't really avoid them in the world. If I walk down the street, it's blowing out of people's vents um, or just working with coworkers and they're spraying various things. Um, I get migraines. My airways feel like they're burning. I get kind of a brain fog situation. Um, 
so yeah, I'm just experiencing, it's interesting, I've got some other sensory issues too. I've also developed continuous ringing in my ears over the past year. It's like a pulsing. And sometimes it's so loud I can't concentrate. I feel like dizzy. Um, so yeah, those are my, I guess my, my most pressing concerns. I just wondered what you thought Here about you. that. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yes, first off, I want to say that um, I don't think that you're super sensitive. I think that the people around you are super turned off. Mm. Your body is reacting to substances that it says are not good for it and telling mm. you to leave the environment where those substances are, yes? Yeah. That's not a sensitivity. That's a very wise body. So can herbs help us override our bodies with mm. Usually not. Usually if we're in an environment which is unhealthy for us and our body is objecting to it, the wisest thing to do is to find some way not to be directly in that environment. And sometimes that takes some real creativity. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes saying, and it can be done discreetly. Um, I would really appreciate it if you could help me. Um, I've been told that I'm having some problems with with odors, and I really, um, really don't know much about it. But do you think you could try maybe for a week to to go fragrance-free and help me see if that would help? Mm. Because then people, they have a motivation because generally we like to help each other. Yeah. We don't like to be bossed around or told what to do, but we like to be asked to help. And we certainly see this, don't we? In places where people feel bossed around, they say, I'm not wearing no mask. In places where people have been asked to be kind to each other, like in New York, the mask adherence. I see people out for walks with their dogs wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I live. But, I mean, but where I work, I'm, I'm I'm working in a healthcare. I'm working in a healthcare-ish um, environment, and you know, like some of the people that I work with won't really. They don't really. They only wear it like if, if they see somebody coming, they'll pop it back on. But. Um, you know, I guess it's another issue, but uh, yeah, and and yeah, I'm also working in a place that I normally wouldn't be since the pandemic has begun because of cohorting and all that sort of thing. Um, but I, you know, I appreciate that uh, angle of just like, hey, can you help me out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, not not I not you have to do this or I'm demanding this, but you know, can you give me some assistance with this? Let's yeah. let's see what's happening. Right, and, uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, you'll meet up with somebody who says, you know, you can take a flying leap, but most people do want to be helped. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I certainly don't like the smell of dryer sheets when my daughter and I are out for a walk. If somebody's using one, we will cross the street to avoid it. Yeah. You know, I, I don't see how people can 
put on their clothes after that, but I guess they do what certainly you know and i don't I don't consider myself exceptionally sensitive to smell. I certainly do know what things smell like, but we've discovered by testing that in fact people are much better at distinguishing smells than we had previously thought. So you give mm-hmm. people a smell and then you start diluting it and giving them, you know, the sample with more more and more diluted. And most people can still smell it down to one part per billion. Yeah. Yeah, I've read yeah. recent um a recent article that um, smell research has gotten a bit of a spotlight because of the recent pandemic. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's super interesting. It's super I'm like, okay, cool, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, well, yeah, I guess I won't be using any herbs for that. Ringing in the ears. I, I've heard that there's really, if, if, it, if that's all it is, you know? there's nothing you can do about it, but it could be a sign of something else. Probably not okay. a sign of something else. Um, I always put down ringing in the ears to someone's good ability to pick up all of the various signals that are zipping through the air. Oof. And it never hurts to simply send a message to your brain, excuse me, you need to turn down the reception and the gain and all of that stuff. I'm not interested right yeah. now. And it may take saying it more than once or twice. But usually persistence does help. The other thing that I've seen, which has been helpful for people which have it to the degree that you're describing, where it's interfering with daily activity and, in fact, interfering with balance, um, is called something like oral retraining. Mm in which the ears are literally retrained to sound. And there are a variety of, of course, of different practitioners and techniques and machines and so on and so forth and courses and so on. But, you know, look into it and see, right? Because basically what it is is sound training. And because what seems to be happening is that there's a... Um, Constant firing where there should be silence. Mm-hmm. Would that would describe what you're experiencing? Uh, yeah, I mean it is. It's continuous from when I wake up to when I go to sleep, and yeah, and it's, in, and si- like, in si- it's so-called like a background, silence, I'm hearing like it. a background static, which can get severe enough to become the foreground. Yeah, it's a tone, and then sometimes there's another tone layered over it on one side. That That's when it gets more severe. Um, or if I'm talking or other people in the area are talking, it gets more pronounced. Um, it's there. also fun, and that's when, I, it's it's also fun when it's happening like, to oh. walk around and see how it relates to computers and things like that. Uh, yeah. City life. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, very often when, especially when our body is guarding us and helping us, it it can be convinced 
that what it needs can happen in time. So mm-hmm. rather than fighting ourselves, we can say, wow, I really hear you. You want me to get out of this environment. And in mm-hmm. order to do that, this and this and this has to happen. And so I'll be looking to change this environment at this point. Work with me till then. Yeah. I, when I first moved to the country, I just moved to the country to the end of a road that dead ended in our farm, and I was just stayed at the farm and ate things that I grew, which was just so Miss Pure. And then I went down to New York, New York City, and I was sick. And I said, <coughs> "Excuse me, let us not make ourselves unworthy of the human experience." Mm. And I began to understand that health was not about purity, but about flexibility. Yeah. Lots of food for thought there. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks for asking. Great blessings. Thank you. Great blessings. Okay, we have four callers that are on the line. Our next caller is calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi, howdy, neighbor. How are you doing tonight? Oh, I feel a little under the weather, and... Um, I had a bad batch of echinacea because I used a jar. I didn't realize it had a plastic lid under it, and I guess there was soap that got in it uh, from the dishwasher. So I had to throw that out, and I just started a new one tonight. I'm gargling with the salt water. I figured I might uh, try to gargle a little with apple um, cider vinegar. <clears throat> I just ran out of yarrow. Uh, I don't have transportation, so I don't know if I can get now, to the sounds, store. Sounds like, sounds like you have a cold or the flu or some bugaboo. It's like uh, it's I have not gotten uh, a strep throat or anything in probably 30 years or something, but I've been stressed out. My daughter-in-law died um, oh, no. last with her leaving us behind a six-month-old baby, and she died two hours after coming out from cervical cancer surgery. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, me too. It makes you wonder what's I I don't know what to say. We tried to ask her to go to a better hospital but she wouldn't she wouldn't have it and I'm not saying that that had anything to do with it because actually the autopsy couldn't find any reason uh two hours later and she was home and just killed over on her bed and so they're waiting for um the toxicology report but, um, yeah, it's shocking. So my grief is enormous. And my heart's been hurting me uh, 
for about a year steady now since I had this bad fall last July, uh, and I, I suffered a cortochondrial tear. So I'm going to see a cardiologist, and I know you know a lot about the heart. I would like to at least try to make a Hawthorne, Hawthorne berry tincture. Um, I don't know if I can find any fresh, but I want to get started right Isn't away. Make, make it with dried Hawthorne. That's a great with idea. Dry. Okay, dried I'll is do that. fine, yeah. I'll do that. Now, I'm going to the cardiologist, and I know in my family that the narrowing of the vessels is a big deal. So I'm hoping that during the test they don't say I need immediate surgery. I don't think so. But my brother went, and they wouldn't. They did it right there. They did six arteries. And they put, so they used, they, they used stents, yes? Stents, yes, yes. Yeah. So, um, it's, you know, it's I, actually, interestingly enough, it's not considered surgery. Oh, well, it was like, I think he said because something like a seven-hour... Because it's usually done, you say, on an outpatient basis. Um, well, he was, he was getting tests done at Vassar, and mm-hmm. um, after they did the test, they said to him, um, you're not going anywhere, we need to operate right away. Right, and, but he he was having many strokes and like every so day. So you said they month. did it right then. Did they actually do it the next day, or did they really do it right then? They did it right then. Yeah, they did it right yeah, then, was, and he was home when. Um. Well, he recovered nicely. Uh, I think he might have came home the next day. That's what I'm saying. Or two. Yeah. Yeah. So often they um, often people come home the same day. Would this Hawthorne Berry tincture help those vessels to uh, clean up or grow? You know, grow or uh, is there anything else I might want to try for my heart? I mean, I, I do the motherwort, of course. Um, uh, like I said, I don't think they're going to try to do anything to me right away. I think we're going to get like a baseline. Where am I at? And mm-hmm. I was like. I would like to try to improve my condition so that I can go back and see if hey, I look can how much better I am. Stall off that uh, absolutely that kind of surgery. Absolutely. Is there anything so, besides the Hawthorne? I certainly, think, I certainly think that you're on the right track with Hawthorne. But let's remind ourselves that Hawthorne is considered to be slow acting. Oh, okay. In fact. Okay. First of all, we have the fact that the tincture is being made from the dried plant. That means that while you can start using that tincture at six weeks, it won't actually develop its full ability to help until it's more like six months old. Oh, it's kind of like the elderberry. It takes a long time, Exactly. Huh? It's dried. Uh, so I'll buy right. some in the meanwhile. And that it's usually said that you need to take Hawthorne for several months to begin to right. see the effect. That the effects yeah, are cumulative, even if they are somewhat slow. Uh-huh. Um, Hawthorne is considered a classic heart tonic in that it is able to affect the heart through a wide range of its operations. Mm -hmm. It increases the effectiveness of the heart as a pump. 
So, mm. in other words, the ability of the heart's classically used, right, in what's called heart failure, where the heart is no longer pumping sufficient blood, that Hawthorne can really help stave off problems from that for long. Oh, that's good. That's good, yeah. Right. I, I do have yeah. problems with um, uh, asthma, so it does put stress on the on the breathing. Right. And yes. then, like I said, with the healing of the rib cage there, well, I, think I, I well, barely breathe quite at on all. the right track with the Hawthorne, that you're really, you know, getting a okay. good, um, clear image for yourself um, working with that Hawthorne. And oh. at, you might also... Because of the relationship that you have with with your heart and heart disease, and because of the relationship you want with Hawthorne, um, it would not be a bad idea to draw Hawthorne in as an ally, to meditate with Hawthorne, to make a necklace of Hawthorne berries, to have a picture of Hawthorne around, to read something about Hawthorne, to in some way invite Hawthorne into your life in relationship. I love that idea. Yeah. I just got the warm fuzzies when you said that, and I'm holding my heart as we're speaking, and my body just went all warm and glowy. I got goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I guess that's a good sign that that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. All right. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thanks for the call. Great blessings. All right. There are three callers that have pressed one and have their hand raised. Our next caller is calling from the 401 area code. You are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. I just wasn't sure if you could hear me. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Sure. I'm going to make it quick because I know we're getting down to the wire. Um, I do my nourishing herbal infusions uh, every day, but I also take um, a few tinctures um, as a tonic. Um, I take mullein, skullcap, and Vitex and Hawthorne daily. Um, and I'm just wondering, what, uh, how do you differentiate what's best to take as an infusion or what's okay to take as a tincture? Um, do those four that I take as a tincture still give me you know, tonic um, use if I'm taking them as a tincture or do they have to be taken as an infusion? The mullein tincture, in my experience, Mm -hmm. is different from the mullein infusion in Mm -hmm. that mullein infusion seems to restore good health to the lungs from the cellular level out. And mullein tincture helps stop coughs. Oh, okay. So the infusion for mullein would be a better tonic. If that's what you want, absolutely. I don't think of mullein, strictly speaking, as a tonic. Um, I think of it more as as a healer for people who have lung issues, and then for the rest of us, it's the occasional fun thing to drink. Um, yeah, that, I do take it Hawthorne, for, um, Hawthorne is a tonic, right? It gradually improves the efficiency of the heart. So it's something that we want to take long-term. 
and that we get okay. benefit from by taking repeatedly. And hawthorn is used in all ways, the berry tincture, the berry infusion, the leaf and flower infusion, um, all seem to be effective for people okay. as ways to get what they want from the hawthorn. Okay. Um, Vitex, Vitex, so far as I know, is used to reset the biological clock so that women can get pregnant. Oh, okay. So I wouldn't consider it to be the kind of tonic that you would just take on a whim. I had um, taken a class with David Hoffman at the, one of the herb symposiums, and and I the reason I was taking the Vitex was to balance hormones. Um, so that's uh, well, where my mind was. Balanced at. hormones are the hormones of something that is dead. <laughs> the things that are alive have uh, hormones that are constantly being made and taken apart, and therefore they can never be balanced, can they? I see. Right. Okay. Right, it's like um, saying so, I want to get the moon in balance. Right. So maybe I at can what, drop that. At what point <laughs> is the moon in balance? When it's ha- halfway, is that the imbalance? No, the balance is in the phases. <laughs> right. Right, right. Makes sense. You cannot have balanced hormones and be alive. Okay. Okay. I. I thought it was when I, maybe I misunderstood the lesson then. No, that's a term that is frequently used. Um, you okay. know, and like a I, modulator. I, none of the above. Oh, okay. I really mm-hmm. think of these plants as having specific tasks. And that there that I would not think of Vitex again as a tonic. Although I un- understand and don't object to his calling it a tonic, but you're using tonic to mean something I take to make me better. And I think perhaps more what you're thinking of is adaptogen. Okay. Rather than tonic, that might lead you more in the direction of what you are looking for. Okay. The word I was... Herb tonic is used and misused throughout herbal literature to the point where Dr. Christopher uses the word tonic to refer to herbs that are poisons. Hmm. So it's a really fraught word, whereas adaptogens, although not strictly defined, its first definition is does no harm. Right. And then there was one fourth mm-hmm. herb, and then I'm going to welcome that was Martha. The skull cap. Yeah, that was the, the skull, skull cap, cap. which um, I take only as needed to quell pain, to deal with headache, um, those kinds of things. I certainly don't think of it um, as a tonic. Okay. And so for lung, rep- well, I'm and a that was the la- that was the last question, and I said, and now I'm going to introduce Martha. Thank oh, you yeah. for calling. Okay, Green. all right. Thanks Thank for the you. time. Take care. Green blessing. Right. 
and blessings. Dr. Martha Lipster is an international expert in the practice of nurse herbalism, integrative nursing, and botanical self-care. Her work advances the art and science of nurse herbalism and has been disseminated, or perhaps we might say disovulated, through publications, presentations, and community events on five continents. Her practice models on integrative nursing, health culture diplomacy, and precision botanical self-care have contributed to global health transformation, policy reforms, and wellness innovations. Dr. Martha is the author of nine books. Her award-winning history, Herbal Diplomats, published in 2004, documents the lost history of the 19th century American nurses' leadership during a nationwide healthcare reform movement focused on botanical self-care, a movement that was also um, very important to me and very formative in my ideas about what I wanted to do with my time. Dr. Martha is now expanding her nurse herbalist work to the public through her Self-Care Institute and Self-Care League. Her latest book, which I have right here in hand, in fact, it's two books, Gentle Medicine for Balance in Body and Peace of Mind, was released in 2020. It introduces her Elements of Care program, a self-care program that builds on nursing's centuries-old practice of precision self-care with plants as partners. Welcome to the show, Martha. Hi, Susan. Nice to hear you and see you again. Yes. Yes, you too. It's been far too long. How are you? So I'm so glad, and thank you so much for sending me your beautiful books, and thank you for all of the work that you are doing to empower people and to empower nurses to empower people, which is really an important. Well, you know, thank you for that, and thank you for inviting me to to sit in with you. I've been listening a little bit before we came on, and you know, this notion of empowerment, it was a very wise person that came to me in a dream and when I was about 20 years old and said, you have the power within you to heal yourself. So I never really see that what we do as nurses empowers others. I believe that we provide the environment for them to find that amazing power within. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do... I do uh, think that plants are very powerful and people are very powerful and we often underestimate the power of an infant to heal and the power of nature, you know, all the things you talk about, you know. <laughs> so. and, and power, but power in, shall we call it, a yin way, because you mm-hmm. do Gentle medicine, yes. Now, many times when people think about power, they think about powering through or power over. Um, But you're using power in a different way. Can you help us understand gentle medicine and how it's powerful? Sure. Well, you know, I'm going to borrow a term or a phrase from the 19th century because through my work with plants over my whole lifetime, actually, but when I did my doctoral work on the herbal diplomats, uh, the botanical medical movement, I was really looking at the power of plants to create social change and uh, massive social change in the 19th century, from 1830 to 1860, referred to the lost 
decades of American history, and most people don't know anything about it. Um, they just know about the Civil War. It's kind of like the time between the wars, you know. And uh, what what the term that was used by many women at the time was this notion of restoring society to a plant-like gentleness. Isn't that beautiful? That is lovely. And they really wanted that because there had been calomel and bloodletting and wars and cholera pandemics seven times. You know, I mean, not maybe at that point, but there had been quite a few and a lot of other types of diseases and wars. And, and they really were seeking as a whole community, um, not just in this country, but other in Europe as well. That was kind of the focus of the research anyway was this plant-like gentleness. And, and people really believed and knew that plants could heal in a different way. And they had a lot of experience with that. And they also knew that diseases were self-limited in many cases. And that was from the medical societies. And the president himself at the time, Thomas Jefferson, was a vegan and put his feet in water and was really into plants, native plants, and work with indigenous people and so forth. I mean, it's just that notion, both in men and women, to promote plant-like gentleness was very strong. How have you carried that notion into today and into your work? Well, the, the way it translates is actually quite simple in the nursing science world because we are actually centuries experts in self-care. And I like to say self with a capital S because that's our essence and that's represented in the five elements. So if you bring as a foundation for our science in humoral medicine, but also in the religious, uh, the religions of, of many, many peoples, um, you have the five elements, right? So um, when we're looking at self-care, in nursing, we're not just looking at the tasks or the management part of it. We're looking at how things are done, you know. And so when we develop the science of self-care and whether we support as nurses when people need support in self-care or if they need education or they need to be left alone. <laughs> I think you were talking with somebody about that. You know, sometimes it's best just to commune with the plant. Um, but basically, the the notion of self care as the first tier in our society's tiered system of how we explore what you're doing on the show, how we share recipes and remedies, how we build knowledge to help each other and to help ourselves and help our kids, and to live uh, a life of balance. We talk about balance and body and peace of mind. You know, and that that's actually attainable. And that so is so here. important that you carry that message, that this is actually attainable. It doesn't mean that something bad might not happen to you, an accident or a diagnosis, uh, but it certainly does mean that for all of the little in-between stuff that um, is always there, um, in our lives, that there's so much that we can do as empowered beings. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're, you know, if you're talking about the biomedical culture, which is a dominant culture here in the United States, but also in the West in general, um, you ha 
there are some countries that have more balance, such as India and China to a certain to a certain extent, and Peru. You know, these are identified by the World Health Organization as being fairly integrated um, medical cultures and and health cultures. Um, but if we look at biomedical dominance here, we have many people who've lost faith in self-care as the first step of the things that we do. And I grew up in a family that um, that was what we did. <laughs> yeah, we were a Celtic, Cornish, um, been here 300 years, but, you know, um, knew the plants and, you know, taught, we learned the plants when we were little. And, you know, so we always did self-care and oftentimes with plants. And so when I found that as not just John Christopher's legacy in the 20th century, but went further back to the Thomsonians and that was before, you know, the eclectics even, you know, the eclectics and then the Thomsonians, if we're going back in history, the Thomsonians, and then we go back to the, the women who actually, and the nurses who actually carried that message into community. Um, you know, that's, that's where that power, that gentle power really is. And that first tier of self-care, but then looking beyond that into your community on the second step of that tiered model for care in a community. And then you ask, say, a community member, a family member for help. And if that doesn't work, then you go up the tier and maybe you ask, a, um, you know, somebody who's knowledgeable like a Susan Weed. And then you go one step further and you're asking physicians and, and all that, you know, so you're looking for more. But, but that, that faith in the first, uh, first tier is lost. So, for example, uh, one of the applications is I published an article a couple of years ago in a special issue on infant mental health. I'm an infant mental health specialist, and I was asked about the gentle remedies for little children. And I don't know if you saw this, Susan, but people kept sending me um, issues of, like, I think it was Time and Newsweek and so forth, about 2014 and 2015, and saying what we, what we saw is the prescription of antipsychotic drugs um, starting in, in teenagers, but then going, and of course we don't do a lot of we don't do studies often in children, right? So um, it's unethical to do so. And so forth. then we saw the introduction of this in, in younger and younger children to the point where Time and Newsweek were showing some studies by Stanford and others that um, we had huge numbers of prescriptions, thousands of prescriptions of antipsychotic uh, drugs in two-year-olds for disruptive behavior. Yes. And so I, I published that paper on not only, you know, taking and, and being part, given to pregnant and being given to pregnant women too. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, so, you know, that's it's really really tough um, to look at that. And then, but also, I really feel it's our responsibility to give solutions, to give the recipes and the remedies, just like our grandmothers and and grand sisters did. You know, I mean, the Shaker nurses started the pharmaceutical industry in this country and um, with some of their brethren, but they were out there, you know, growing herbs and that's the beginning of it. And, you know, we, we know that that communion with the creator, with God, you know, and how we have our fields and how we harvest and you know, that that's some of that's been lost. Some of that power actually has been lost. And so we've ended up with over prescription and then I, you know, um, opiate crisis and all those kinds of things and we're out of we're kind of spun out right we're not we don't have that balance within our even so it's well, I, I think, think you really put your finger on it that people lost faith in the herbs 
they lost faith in, in self-care, you know, and, and that they needed to ask someone else for their opinion. And there's a remedy for that. There are a lot of remedies for that, you know, right? So, yeah. Backflowers. I think that's Heather, right? Backflower system. That's a self-care system. Uh, yeah. Great. So, yeah, so we try to we, – what we've done is we've done uh, a self-care institute uh, to promote that. I yes. worked with a, a doctor, Dr. Don Vickery uh, back in the 90s when I was working at the Herb Research Foundation with Rob McCaleb, and I was working with Don Vickery, and he was at the NIH for many years, and he said, Martha, never go to Washington because they're not into self-care. But Don had, had done a lot – he was an MD and a researcher, and he had done a lot of research and published books. Um, in fact, his – He's now deceased, uh, but his uh, best-selling book um, with um, Dr. Fry's is Take Care of Yourself, and then there's Take Care of Your Child. So I recommend that for everybody to, you know, as they're asking these kind of questions, is, you know, troubleshoot those things. Make sure there isn't something you need to go to the emergency room for, right? You know, so have that right. book on your bookshelf, right? So I tell everybody, you right. know, take care of you yourself. Yeah, take care of yourself, but but go through the troubleshooting. If you're not a medical professional, there's a there's help. But there. I'm so, saying that's the name of the book. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Yes. Take care of yourself. Yep. Take care of yourself and take care of yes. your child. Right. And it's been around for a long time. And I worked with Don, and at his company in Colorado, and um, we we basically you know learned how to help people sort through their decision making process. So that's what our self care institute at Golden Apple Healing Arts. The golden apple oh, thank you, because that, That's is what we so, do. that is so hard for people, and partly because they feel pressured, and I find that the modern yes. medical establishment is loath to give people actual information about the treatments that they are suggesting. Well, yeah, that's that's actually um, unethical to do that. <laughs> you know, so, um, I, and I have accused them of that. And I have been told yes. we don't want to tell the patient what the side effects will be because then they will have oh. them. Well, yeah, it's, and, and I actually don't use the term side effects. I use the term adverse effects because these are known effects, right? So, so, right. so we effects, really know what we're talking about. We really know what we're talking about here. We know this may happen. And uh, so I train advanced practice nurses in psychiatry, and, and they are trained in, in prescriber ethics, and that's not just prescribing I could be prescribing herbs. I mean, even an herbalist is, is bound by moral duty to tell people what the benefits and risks are. And so really weighing the benefits and risks is part of precision self-care and, and knowing how to do that. That is so important that we understand that there are always benefits and risks to there even are. the use of herbs. It's not just a Ride. We have to understand what we're doing. I really like the use of your of the word precision there, uh, and the theme of the show tonight has been that in their way, herbs don't have to be as precise as drugs because of their more generalized actions. So I don't think that what you mean by precision is the difference between 15 drops and 17 drops, but something a little oh. more sophisticated. <laughs> Tell us a little about what you mean oh, by that. Oh, sophisticated. Thank you for that. The elevation is nice. Um, actually, it's, it's uh, ancient. Uh, you know, as a historian, I could say it's ancient. Precision has to do with energetics. And so that's where the five elements in hermeticism and understanding what Hermes Trismegistus came to teach us. And that 
clashes, you know, that kind of understanding of the five elements clashes with nothing, you know, uh, no matter what your, you know, healing tradition is, you know, you can, it's, it's underlying Ayurveda, it's underlying Chinese medicine, it's underlying uh, Shinto medicine, it's, it's, it's there, you know, so um, that the precision is learning in, in my book, um, Gentle Medicine Balance Embodying Peace of Mind, I've, I've been practicing nursing and, and traditional Chinese herbal medicine for 27 years, and I'm a formulator. So I learned to, many years ago, to look at patterns. Nursing is a pattern science, so is, is this. So we're looking at, at the energetic pattern to really identify what kind of tonic, you know, I mean, is, is tonifying going to make or break this pattern? You know, is it going to shift? the balance to where, for example, if somebody has a lot of what we call uh, phlegm or an excess pattern and we take a tonifying herb or tonifying food, a lot of people know that if they drink milk or dairy when they're coming down with a cold and they have this mucus that's kind of thin and carrying the virus out of the body, we know that, and they start to drink milk, which is a tonifying food, um, they will get more gloppy mucus. You know, I mean, it's just what I'm happens. I'm sorry, that's so, simply not true, and study after study has shown that that's not true. Things like orange oh, juice and water will cause far more mucus than milk will. Milk, because of the fat, actually thins mucus. Well, I've, I've seen it in, in my patients. Now, so perhaps you're talking that, about yeah. pasteurized milk made from animals that have been fed silage, and I'm talking about real milk. Could be. Could, that, that could be, that could be. But we'll also see, you know, we'll also see the energetic shift with, say, an, you know, orange juice and people eating, drinking a lot of orange juice. Orange juice is cold. certainly the worst you know? for creating mucus. There's certainly yes, nothing that so. creates mucus and, a lot and of orange people juice. Do that, right? A lot, right, of, a lot do of people that, you know? do that, right? Yeah. Right. So, that, yeah. so it's looking very closely at your self-care choices through the lens of, for example, in, in my book, The Eight Principle Patterns, which is hot, cold, yin, yang, interior, exterior, mm-hmm. deficiency, mm-hmm. access, you know. So, and, and there, are, I think that, you know, trying to teach that is, is difficult, but it's also um, bringing that to the public, I think giving the public a language. And that's what we're trying to do at Golden Apple Healing Arts. So that's, that's wow. what the nurses that lead that are trying to do. So that's part, that's why the book, the little book, it's a little book, but it's, it it's is a beautiful a little book. book. Yes. And there's two little books. Yes, One it comes is the experiential guide. Yes, it comes gentle medicine, guide. balanced mm-hmm. body and peace of mind, and the other one is the experiential guide right. so that you can yes. start a self-care plan and right. have a peaceful, safe place and um, understand tiered self-help, what you were just talking about. I love the way that your books open with Welcome Back to the Plant World. That's what we're doing because we know people have been connected. And, and so if people want that book, they can go to our website, goldenapplehealingarts.com. We have a bookstore there, and uh, they can get it for a special price, the, the, the couple books. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, I mean, oh yeah, they're so wonderful. And uh, what I like about the books is that they are the essentials. And That's it, what this it, one is. <laughs> it gives me every essential thing that I need kind of in one place. Thank you. 
Yeah, this one is, it's for that. It's a, and it, there are a lot of self-studies in it. We were talking about oranges, right? There's a mindfulness orange exercise in there that helps people get into their bodies and to use their senses to get into this benefit and risk thing. We have to be in our bodies and we have to tune into our senses. So I've done those experiments with 500 people in a room or two people in a room. It doesn't matter. Oh, oh, you yes. have them You have them eat an orange mindfully for five minutes and ask them about their experience. And when does food become medicine? You know, when is that point? And now historically or sociologically or personally for you, I know for me, um, food has always been medicine. You know, um, my mom, you know, my grandfather and my mother taught me medicine, herbal medicine, and to start, you know, and I've studied formally since then. But um, but when we were kids, you know, one story is uh, my mom took us up to the mountains in New Hampshire and uh, we were looking for checkerberries, which is Gulf area, so common. And uh, we were just out looking for it. My brother and my sister and I, and my, my little brother and my sister is about a year older, were Irish twins. And uh, she, uh, I remember my mom found just like one or two checkerberries, you know, and they're tiny. And she sat us down on a rock, and she took out her penknife, and she cut them into small pieces. And we took a piece in her mouth. She said, you can eat it, right? And so we did. And I remember my sister went, ugh. And she spit it out. And to this day, she detests the taste of wintergreen, anything wintergreen, right? Pepto-Bismol would make her vomit. You know, it wouldn't make her better at all. And so she didn't like that, but I loved it. And so it's like, let the training begin. You know, one man's medicine is another man's poison. One woman's medicine is another woman's poison. And so to this day, my favorite ice cream is from the Golden Rod in York Beach, Maine, and it's a checkerberry chip. You know? Oh, my goodness. They actually make ice cream from it. (laughs) Yeah, at at the goldenrod, yes. And we grew up there, you know. And so you you have these memories, right, that you create. And so so that's how I I saw the individualization of, you know, even though we know, we might all know what the qualities of a plant or a plant part might be, still it's in relationship, you know, partnership with plants is what I talk about a lot. I try not to say I use plants because I, I love them. They're my friends, and I have a lot of stories that I tell now. Um, I didn't tell them a lot of times because they have to do with plant consciousness and pretty powerful stories. Um, I didn't tell them for a long time, you know, when I was, you know, in the nursing science world, and, you know, I didn't want people to think I was crazy. You know, when I'm talking about St. John's work coming down from the mountains and a whole field of them behind a hospital, if you've seen that story in my book, um, that is a true story and that they came to help um, where we were doing episiotomies, fourth-degree episiotomies in women day after day, and I don't know why, and I knew about St. John's work oil because I had worked with a midwife who I made that oil for her in Montana for quite a few years. And, uh, and of course, St. John's Wort is a noxious weed, so everybody wanted to kill it. And, of course, I wanted to harvest it. And so we made the oils. But anyway, get to Colorado, and then we were doing all these episiotomies, and I kept thinking, why can't? This is before I did my upper, you know, higher education work. And 
I said, how do I create that change in systems? How do I create, how do I find that power to create the change where I could introduce St. John's wort oil to a nursing unit and physicians also, and that we don't, we could actually anoint the perineum in a way that we don't have to actually do these cut downs. So that's where it began for me. And I walked out of the hospital and sure enough, there was a whole uh, field of St. John's wort flowers and they hadn't been, we hadn't been able to find any. I was uh, did a lot of um, herb walks with Mindy Green, you know, Mindy, and she and I, we couldn't find any. It was past June 24th and the harvest of St. John's wort is typically, you know, historically on around June 24th. It was in July and there just weren't any flowers anywhere in Boulder, in the mountains, anywhere. We couldn't find them. And even in our normal spots. And they were all behind the hospital. And you know what is significant about that, Susan? You know what's significant about that? Christopher, Christopher taught that the medicine we need grows outside our back door. That's and right. I had learned that from somebody who, my, my dear friend, Sandra Jean mm-hmm. Fucci, who had died a few years ago, but she, um, she had learned with Christopher. And she taught me that a long time ago. And I thought, that makes a lot of sense. But I didn't learn that from my mom and my grandpa. So let me just, you know, put it on the shelf and see what happens. And that day that I went to the hospital when all those episiotomies were going on, I worked in a mother-baby unit, you know, which is a postpartum unit after mothers had given birth. And um, there was a sign outside the hospital that said, you have to park behind the hospital. It was 6.30 in the morning. And oh, my I gosh. Was there was a sign. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was a Sunday morning, 6.30, and there was a sign that you have to park behind the hospital. So I said, well, that's good because that's the back door and it goes right into our unit. So I'll just go park there. And he, I'm, I'm saying to Mindy, where are all the St. John's were flowers? And this is going on for like a week. And we're into July. And then basically um, we get there right behind there. And the sun is coming up and there was. And I thought, no. I mean, I'm yes. talking two football fields of flowers. And yes, the yes. Hospital, came out after that. The other cut down, I came out, and I, I put on my boots, my rubber boots, and I went out into the field, and I just cried. I just cried, and I said, oh, my God. And I called my husband, and I said, Harold, I, they're here. And he goes, what do you mean? I said, they're here. The plants are here. They're here to help. And the same thing with Mindy. I called her. And the rest is history. So That's yeah. wonderful. So they're, they're here Martha, to I could, I could talk to you all night, but I just looked at the time. I and know. Oh, my gosh. It's time to you know, go. it's a blog talk show, and they, like, shut the iron gate on us. So we've come to the point where I ask you, what do you want to leave in the hearts and minds of people? And if that's one more mention of your website, make that part of it so that they know how to get in touch with you because we only said that once. But perhaps some heartfelt thought that you want people to think about. Well, I think the story about St. John's Word is really comes from my heart, you know, that they're here to help. The plants are here to help. And, and I know everybody that talks to you and listens to you knows that. I think just having faith. Um, in your bodies and understand, go out and learn your physiology with the endocannabinoid system. We are going to a whole new dimension with our understanding of our physiology, and we need to teach our children this new physiology so they can make informed choices about substances and whatever they decide to do to heal. And so if you're interested in more of that, on Earth Day, April 22nd, we'll be having a free master class. You can check out our website, goldenapplehealingarts.com, and that's five keys for peace of mind. And we also have some wonderful events for Nurses Week, and then uh, we'll be having on May 22nd an herbalist retreat with our focus on mental health again. So check out our website, 
um, goldenapplehealingarts.com. We'd love to see you in one of those master classes. Thank you so much for being with us tonight, Martha. Thank you for helping us to restore well, herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. It's the medicine of the people, by the people, for the people. It is the medicine that grows right outside your door. The work you're it's doing is brilliant and so compassionate. We are blessed well, to be on the planet living with you at the same time. Thank you. And Sarah Ellen, I love you so much. Thank you so much for all that you do and for your help in reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients and restoring herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. Green blessings, everybody. Good night. Green blessings. Good night. Thank you, Susan. Mm-hmm. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.